Hello and welcome back to Benaya, Mighty Man of God by P. H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 27. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Psalm 51, 16-17 After his daily visit to the court of the women to see his family, David asked Benaiah to accompany him to his quarters before they headed back to the common room. I've composed a psalm for worship that I plan to sing the next time we go to the house of the Lord. May I play it for you? Of course, my Lord. As David sat down and stroked his harp of cypress wood, Benaiah wondered how David could be such a rough, even ruthless soldier at times, and a gentle, creative musician at others. There was no one like him. He sang, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Benaiah understood that, even though David had been assured of God's forgiveness by Nathan, he still felt the need to cry out to God. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Benaiah desired that kind of cleansing too. He wanted to feel joy again. Could it be possible that God would blot out David's horrific sins, and his as well? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Could Benaiah dare to hope that both he and David could have a clean heart before God? Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Could Almighty God actually use the awful things that had happened to be a testimony to those who didn't know him? What an amazing God! Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. Benaiah repeated to himself. Although David did bring sacrifices, he understood that God also desired a broken spirit and a contrite heart, and that he wasn't concerned with only outward observances and empty ritual. It was like the words he lived by, to obey is better than sacrifice. It was becoming apparent to Benaiah that the king did have a broken and contrite heart. Benaiah's heart was broken and contrite as well, which according to David's song meant there was hope for both of them after all. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. 
Then you shall be pleased with sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. David stilled the quivering harp strings with his palms and looked up from his harp. What do you think? Benaiah wiped a tear that had escaped in spite of his effort to keep it reined in. Do you think it could be true, my lord? Can a man's sins be covered simply because he is repentant? Will God forgive even me? David set aside his harp, approached Benaiah, and put a hand on his shoulder. O my friend, I am so sorry my sins spilled over onto you. So many people were hurt by my selfish actions that night. Yet I do believe the Lord is pleased with a broken and contrite heart. The sacrifice on the Day of Atonement forgave the sins of the people during the previous year, but sin was never fully and permanently dealt with. What kind of sacrifice could possibly cover all the sins committed in the past, even those presumptuous sins that were unforgivable under the law? How could God be just in judging people's sins and yet forgive them? He would have to ask his father. Oh, what joy would be his if he could know for certain that the Lord was not going to impute this heinous sin to his account. As the battle for Rabbah raged on, Bathsheba bore David another son. They named him Solomon. Benaiah recalled the day several years earlier when Nathan visited David with the comforting promise that David would always have a descendant to sit on the throne and that his son would reign after him. God even revealed to David that the son's name would be Solomon, meaning peaceful, because God would give peace and quietness to Israel in those days. He would also be the one to build a house to God's name. David practically skipped as they went to the house, uh, the court of the women to see his whole family, but in particular Bathsheba and the new baby Solomon. David's exuberance was encouraging to Benaiah and so different from his recent mood. He really did seem to revel in the joy of knowing his sins were forgiven. David knocked on the closed door of Bathsheba's apartment and called her name. She told him to enter. As they stepped in, she finished adjusting her clothing. The child was on her lap. Benaiah guessed she had been nursing him. The wife of a king did not normally nurse her own child, whose care was normally tasked to a wet nurse. But Benaiah assumed she must be fearful of losing this child, so she didn't allow him to be farther than arm's reach away from her. David picked up the little one to burp him. He inquired after Bathsheba's well-being, and then he handed the child back to his mother, who placed him in his cradle. A Pelethite messenger arrived and handed Benaiah a scroll. He bowed to the king and his wife. The prophet Nathan sent me, sire, he said to the king. He is not well enough to come to greet the new babe in person, but he wanted this message to be delivered immediately. David took the scroll from Benaiah and dismissed the messenger, who bowed again before he backed out of the room. Benaiah went to stand inside the door to give the family some privacy. David didn't seem to notice that Bathsheba flinched at the sound of the prophet's name. Did she fear he would always bring a word of condemnation? As David read the message silently, Benaiah wondered what this message from Nathan might say and how it might affect the king. Should David perhaps have waited to read the message until after leaving his wife's apartment in case it was bad news? When David looked up, he smiled at Bathsheba. It says, Fear not, for this child Solomon is beloved of the Lord. He will sit on the throne of his father David. 
Bathsheba burst into tears. David reached out to her and stroked her back. Why are you crying, my love? This is good news. Nothing will happen to this son of ours. He will follow me on the throne. Benaiah understood now one of the reasons the first son died. Because he was conceived while they were unmarried, some might protest his legitimate claim to the throne. That was not the case with this new son. Bathsheba wiped at her tears and the, with the veil over her shoulders. For so long, I feared that I would never be forgiven for what we did. The prophet said God forgave you, but he said nothing of me. That was true. Benaiah could understand how she could fear that forgiveness didn't extend to her. I felt certain God would take this child as well. David sat down next to her, a hopeful expression on his face. Instead of the judgment I deserved, God promised not just life for my son, but also the throne. The result of our union is the one God chose to succeed me. It's more than I ever expected. That's beyond mercy. It's unmerited grace and favor. Bathsheba exhaled and smiled, and David continued, The sins I committed were worthy of death, yet the prophet told me that I would not die. I don't understand how God can cover my sin without my having to pay for it, but I take him at his word, and I rejoice in his forgiveness. Bathsheba closed her eyes and inhaled deeply, as if drinking in the comfort of her husband's words. Then she kissed David over their sleeping child and caressed his bearded face. My two greatest loves, Bathsheba whispered. Mine as well. Benaiah wondered if he would live to see the day when this boy ascended to his father's throne. He longed to see the blessing of God on Israel. O oh Lord, make it so. A military report from General Joab Sire, the servant at the door to the common room, announced. He took the scroll from the Pelethite courier and brought it to Shemaiah the scribe, who unrolled it and read it before the king. From General Joab to King David, Battlefield Report 22, Twelfth Day of the Month of Elul, Battle with the People of Ammon. I have fought against Rabbah, the royal city, and have taken the city's water supply. Now bring the rest of the army together and attack Rabbah. Capture this city before I do, or else it'll be called by my name. David tensed and pressed his lips together. Then his features suddenly brightened and he smiled at Benaiah. Benaiah, how do you feel about doing some old-fashioned soldiering? Benaiah smiled back. He would love to experience the feeling a few more times in his life. As much as he appreciated the safety and routine of his current role, he was a soldier at heart. My sword is already sharp, my lord. Very well. Assemble ten thousand soldiers and ready them. We march on Rabbah at dawn. Benaiah hurried to do the king's bidding, energized by the prospect of battle. Yet he wondered at the bold tone of Joab's note. His words were practically a threat to David, challenging the king to at least make a show of being the leader of the armies of Israel. A popular military leader could sway a country away from a king under the wrong circumstances. He had witnessed that with General Abner and Saul's son Ishbosheth. Benaiah resolved to be watchful of Joab. After all, he was quite willing to obey David's order and allow Uriah to be killed on the battlefield and he had murdered his rival Abner for his own personal revenge and advancement in rank. No, Benaiah did not trust Joab, not one bit. The walled city of Rabbah, the capital of the people of Ammon, east of the Jordan, had already been secured by Joab and the Israelite soldiers. It remained only for David to make it official and gather the spoils. David and his men met up with Joab and his men. 
Benaiah realized this was the first time David and Joab had seen each other face to face after David sent the death warrant by the hand of Uriah himself. Had Joab heard anything about the aftermath of that event? David's marriage to Bathsheba, the death of their child, the birth of Solomon? Benaiah asked the other mighty men about the fateful battle where Uriah lost his life. The men told Benaiah they were ordered by General Joab to retreat from Uriah. It went against everything they had ever done and been trained to do to leave one of their own in such a situation. They confided to him that they felt guilty about it and wondered at Joab's indifference when he saw Uriah fall. It made them feel insecure about his leadership. Would he do the same to them? Good question, Benaiah thought. The city was in ruins and many parts burned. The Ammonite king was kept alive until David arrived. He was brought before David and forced to kneel before the king. Then David pushed him over and placed his foot on the man's neck, symbolizing the king's defeat. Praise be to the God of Israel, who has this day given us victory over our enemies, David shouted. Cheers rose from the ranks of Israel's soldiers. David himself dispatched the Ammonite king. Joab brought David the king's crown, studded with jewels. It looked heavy, possibly a talent of gold in weight, Benaiah guessed. He noticed Joab paused for a moment before placing the crown on David's head, as though hesitant to part with it. Was he imagining it on his own head instead? Or had he already tried it on? Did the man have aspirations beyond his station, even to the throne? With the crown on David's head, Benaiah breathed a sigh of relief. It set off another round of cheers. It had been a long, hard battle, and Benaiah couldn't forget this was where ten soldiers had been lost, including Uriah and Micaiah. There was such great spoil, it took two days to bring it all out of the city. There was gold and silver, jewels, garments, farming implements, wagons, horses, and livestock. The people were rounded up and organized into groups for forced labor in brickwork and forestry. The sight of this victory almost made Benaiah forget the ugly business with Bathsheba. Almost. Keep listening for chapter 28.